Shalom, Mishpacha. This is Sid Roth. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with a very supernatural guest. And now, here's your host for this program. It's supernatural television producer, Jackie Duval. Thank you, Sid. Today on Messianic Vision, our guest is Jennifer Miskoff. Jennifer is a revival historian, writing coach, and itinerant minister who loves to lead people into a lifestyle of intimacy with Jesus and invite them to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. She is the founding director of School of Revival and Writing in the Glory, where she launches revivalists into their destinies. She received her PhD from the University of Birmingham, UK, is ordained by Heidi Baker with Iris Global, and currently lives in Southern California. Welcome, Jennifer. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you. And um, you grew up in a Christian home, um, but it was when you were a freshman in high school that you had an encounter with the love of Jesus, and your relationship with the Lord began to really grow. Tell us about that encounter. Yeah, so I, I grew up, you know, in the church and believing in God and all that stuff, but I, I don't think my faith got personal until a really challenging season in high school, my freshman year. I was a super shy kid. I went from a small school to a big public high school and tried to, like, make friends and fit in different groups and just didn't really, it wasn't even I was being rejected. It just was like, I don't even feel like these people are like me and just kind of gave up towards the end of the year of trying to fit in and ended up eating my lunch by myself in the girls' locker room and reading my Bible in a lonely time. And and through the process, I can't even tell you the exact day. It was actually just through that kind of lonely process of reading the Word of God, I discovered that man, this Christianity thing is not all about rules and regulations and what not to do. It's about this man named Jesus who's madly and passionately in love with me and gave everything to me. And so I realized at that point, like from that point on, I'm like, okay, I'm all in. I want to give everything to you, and and I want to just love you with my whole heart and give you my full yes. Um, and so that was when I just really committed my entire life um, to the Lord. And the cool thing is full circle by senior year of high school, I got voted most friendliest because I knew how to be a friend to people, um, from that time. So uh, just God, God is so good. And I love how he uses even the hard, challenging times to draw people to himself. Wow. That's so good. And you, um, got baptized in the spirit as a teenager and you had an encounter there. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, probably it was around 16, 17, um, and I was in this uh, home group Bible study thing, and we gathered at a house, and we just prayed for more of the Holy Spirit. And I remember um, it was kind of new to me, um, even though I grew up, you know, under John Wimber in the vineyard and signs and wonders and all that, but I was still kind of growing in the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And I remember we prayed for this. And as we prayed for this, I was lay, laid out um, on the floor. And I just remember in that moment getting caught up to another realm. Like it was like I was conscious, but I wasn't conscious. I don't know if you've ever been mm -hmm. put out um, 
you know, like, like in the surgery or something, like you can kind of vaguely hear what's going on, but you right. can't move your body. And I remember at one time trying to like lift up my leg and, but I was just, I was not totally aware what was happening. And I just felt like the Lord had taken me into a different realm. And that was when I first spoke in a, a tongue. It was just like one word, one syllable of speaking in tongues. Um, but that was really where, when I look back at my life, where I um, first kind of entered into a new realm with the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's so neat. And you said also that 20 years later, God gave you a new prayer language. Tell us about that experience. Oh, yeah, that was that was crazy. Yeah, you guys do good research. You found out all these kind of different things. Um, I was actually studying revival history. Um, I was in writing at the time at Simpson Library, which is a significant um, revival. Well, and studying, I think I was studying Smith Wigglesworth, and it was raining. Um, and so when I was done researching, I walked outside and it was raining, it was cold. And sometimes I'll just pray in tongues when it's cold, just cause I, I don't know. It's just, I just come so I'm like, shana, na, 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 whatever. And as I start praying in tongues, I get overtaken with the Lord. And I start speaking this brand new tongue that the Lord had given me in that moment. And it was this tribal like language. I could not stop all the way home. I just kept saying, shakalamana, whatever it was. And it, and it just kind of overtook me and that kind of became a new language. And it felt like almost like a battle cry, um, like almost like a, in a war type tongue that the Lord gave me in that moment. It was amazing. Um, I have another story. I don't know if I can throw this in Jackie. Yeah. When I was, when I was in England praying for somebody, this was really cool. I was praying for a girl in, in tongues. And then later she looked at me, she's like, oh my gosh, do you know what you were saying? I'm like, no, I have no idea. And she had been um, studying Russian because she really wanted to be missionary in Russia. And she was hesitating on taking her classes and frustrated. And what I was speaking over in tongues was I was saying, speak, speak, speak in Russian. Um, and that was encouragement for her to get back and study Russian so she can be a missionary. In Russia. It was crazy. So wow. it is so fun how God uses it. <laughs> wow. I love that. Without even knowing. But yeah, it was super fun. That's awesome. Now, you have seen um, so many miracles throughout your life and in your ministry, and we'll get to some more of those soon, but um, you have discovered the key to, to why you're seeing those miracles um, in your life, and it's also the key to why the revivalists um, of old saw that in their ministries. Can you explain what that key is? I mean, the key is His presence and Him, first and foremost, absolutely, it's all Jesus, but I do think there's something powerful when um, a group of people throws off everything just to seek the face of Jesus. Mm. Um, I know Catherine Coleman's ministry, like she was just talking about the Holy Spirit and people would get healed in the midst. And so I've seen God do so many beautiful things when we have just positioned ourselves to worship and adore him and give space to the Holy Spirit and then just respond. And when we've done that, we've just seen God move in beautiful ways. Um, obviously, uh, revival history and sharing the testimonies of what God's done in the past has really unlocked um, powerful encounters, defining moments for people. Fasting, uh, well, I know we're going to talk about that soon, is also um, something that has stirred up um, just a greater hunger to see God move in, in greater ways. But I think ultimately... It really is just his presence and making that a priority 
and a focus on just adoring him and giving space to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's so good. And um, you've talked about before, I, th- I think it's in your book, about how a lot of the revivalists, they they had a lifestyle of fasting. And you talk about this in your meetings. And when you talk about these revivalists who have this lifestyle of fasting, there have been people who have been healed and delivered in your meetings without anyone even praying for them. Can you tell us a few of those? Oh, yeah, I can. I can actually tell you one meeting I think it was probably around 2015. Um, I got an opportunity to speak to all of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, the first year class I had done the year before on Carrie Judd Montgomery. It was really special and powerful. She's a healing revivalist. And then the next year, I was going to do her again. And like a week or two before, I actually felt like, no, I'm supposed to do the Welsh revival. So I kind of shifted what I was going to talk about. We prayed and fasted. Me and my community went on probably a week fast, praying and fasting, feeling like God wanted to burst something. And I go and um, I share the story of, you know, Flory Evans giving her yes to Jesus, igniting a fire that later Evan Roberts would run with. And I'm sharing these stories of how Evan basically laid his life on the altar um, and the fire came, and sharing the story of the Welsh Revival, 1904-05 revival that happened in Wales in less than six months, that 100,000 people got saved. And I'm just sharing these stories. And as I'm sharing, like, Evan Roberts' Defining Moment Encounter, as I'm sharing this, I will never forget, um, people started to scream, people started to cry, people laid on their face, like, you just, it, it just was this holy moment where I was, I was scared. God was in the room doing something significant. And I had never personally experienced that. Yeah. Like when I was ministering and I was a little scared. I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm in over my head. Um, and I don't know what to do, but I'm just praying. We're just giving space to the Holy spirit. just like some worship. And there's literally, I remember one girl was just screaming and I'm like, I don't know if she was getting delivered or what. I found out later from some people, one girl felt like she was birthing something like, and, and for the nations. Um, but I remember going to Germany, maybe three or four years later, speaking at a revival school there with some of the students that were there that day. And they remember that day and were still marked by something that God did in them that day, three or four years later, they can remember God deposited something. And it was like, it was like he was birth. It was a birthing. It was like we were in this, we were mid- midwifing um, people's destinies in that moment. And it was, it was, <laughs> it was just wild. Um, and I could tell you, oh man, Jackie, I was in Switzerland. We did the first school of revival in Switzerland. I shared about Azusa Street Revival and we were supposed to be out by a certain time. The pastors weeping, people on their face crying out to God. The presence of God, the glory of God came in such mm-hmm. a powerful way. One person, he'd never experienced the Holy Spirit. He literally felt wind behind him. And he opened his eyes to look. Nobody walked behind him. It was literally the wind of the Holy Spirit. And he, he, he literally felt it upon him. And people, people are marked. I mean, I could tell you story after story of Azusa Street Revival. Like another time... I was in a smaller group at Bethel School Ministry, about 70 people in a revival group sharing about Azusa. And literally, you could see, you could hear a pin drop in the room. Everybody was on their seat. It was silent. 
they were like on the edge of their seats. As I'm sharing, the pastor's wife is there and she starts to weep as I'm sharing these stories. And she's weeping. And later she's like, I feel like I was born again, again. A student had to be carried out of the room because the presence of, and the glory, the weight of God was so crazy. Um, Another time I shared Azusa in the big, in the big, um, you know, meeting with like a thousand people and the Holy Spirit took over. I was on my knees. I, I had to stop speaking. I think I got maybe five or 10 minutes into Azusa and I had to stop speaking. The Holy Spirit took over the media and people come to the altar, don't even get called to the altar, and they're on their face crying out for more of God. And I didn't even finish talking about Azusa. They had to invite me back another time mm-hmm. because we just let the Holy Spirit crash in wow. and this, the fire of God marked people and really set them apart. Like one one guy when he when he was in the either the Welsh revival or Azusa, he 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 experienced and there's a testimony on my website of this. He's a guy from Switzerland. He experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time in a powerful way and he felt like he was marked and commissioned by God that day to be a revivalist from hearing these stories. I mean I could I mean Jackie, I could go on and on because I, I share these stories literally around the world. And I see God do, I mean, Kentucky, like just this, a few months ago, I was in the revival of the Saturate with the Greens, and I was sharing about the revival history in Kentucky. And then as soon as I added the Azusa Street revival on top of the Wells of Revival, people came and knelt and laid in their faces in the mud, mm-hmm. consecrating themselves because they had to have more of God. Wow. So it's just amazing like these testimonies are not just for a hundred years ago they speak and prophesy Mm. of what god wants to do today and it's not that god wants to do the same thing today he wants us to learn and be inspired by what he did but he's doing a new thing today but these testimonies add fuel to the fire and are just a fresh ignition in people's hearts to reawaken them to their destiny and to a passion for the lord wow that's so good and you have recently Um, written a new book called Fasting for Fire. Tell us about why you wrote this book and how it's going to help people. Come on. Yeah. Well, this has been a blog I wrote years ago. It was my number one blog, and I was surprised that people were interested in fasting. And then I realized, man, this generation, there's such a religious spirit where people are not embracing these spiritual disciplines that are such gifts and graces and really pathways to intimacy with Jesus. So part of the reason I wrote the book is to dismantle the stronghold of fear over religion and mindsets, to reintroduce fasting and the, and the spiritual disciplines as, a, as an invitation to greater intimacy with Jesus and help reframe it in light of what it really is. Like, I don't know how people can live and burn for Jesus without embracing so many of the things that are accessible to embrace, uh, fasting is one of them. I've been, I've embraced a lifestyle of fasting over 20 years now, and it has radically impacted my life, my ministry as I study revivalists, um, as I hear present-day revivalist stories. Do you know how many revivals have been birthed on a fast? Azusa Street Revival was birthed on a 10-day fast. Wow. Heidi Baker got a calling to Africa, England, and Asia on a five-day fast. Um, almost every revivalist I talked to or every move of God happened because people were setting themselves apart to hunger for more of the Lord. And it really, it has nothing to do with the religious 
practice. It has everything to do with a relationship and a connection um, with Jesus and being more connected. So I've seen how fasting has radically impacted my life. And it's, it's this gift that is people are not unwrapping because of the religious mindset. And they think it's like rules. And it's not rules. It has nothing to do with rules. It has to do with this invitation to know Jesus at a deeper level. And if there's something I can do in my life to position myself to know Jesus more, I'm going to do it. And fasting is just an invitation to know him more. Wow, that's good. And that kind of goes with oh, another thing that you say in your book, which is that fasting is really feasting on God. And I love that statement. So explain that statement a little bit. Yeah, it's it's just, it, it really is. Um, it's not really going without. I mean, everyone thinks fasting, I got to give up something, but right. really you get him. You get him. You get more of God. So why wouldn't you do anything possible to get more of God and so it's not about, oh, I got to give all this stuff up and sacrifice. It's when you see the face of Jesus, when you experience the love of Jesus, you'll, it's like the love compels you to throw off everything that hinders, like hmm. Hebrews 12. Like, let's go after Jesus. And if I can not eat a couple meals today so that I can feast on Jesus and get to know his heart more and love him more and focus more on his face, and experience his love in a greater measure, like, why wouldn't I do it? Like, it's just, I mean, I I don't see how people can't not do it because it's like, it just is, it gives us access. It's like a key and a pathway to deeper intimacy with Jesus. So of Mm -hmm. course, let's do it. Yeah, so good. And also you talk about how fasting is not only about food, but there's other fasts that we can do like social media. Explain, explain that. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I think food is what Jesus did. That's probably the the one to go after. But I know some people can't. And there's zero zero judgment or shame, like it, because it's an invitation to know God more. But there's so many different um, ways to set ourselves apart to feast after the Lord. Social media is a great one. Mentally, when I write books, I actually take a, a fast. I fast from social media because I want my mind to think deep thoughts and not be distracted. Um, there's silence, uh, solitude. Like you can actually take a take fast from words. Like don't talk for a whole day. Or um, from social. Like you can, like I'll sometimes do a retreat for three days where I unplug from everything and people and just seek the Lord. Um, so there's so many different, different, there's a Daniel, I mean, there's different ways that people can really consecrate and set ourselves apart to really go after more of the Lord. Yeah, it's so good. And your your new book, you talk about um, the, a fire fast. So explain what a fire fast is and then also the three different types of fire fasts that you can do. So yeah, fire fast is basically like a, a certain focus on whatever sort of fast people want to do, um, actually having a focus to reignite the the flame of fire. So it's a kind of a prayer focus and a heart positioning focus of fasting where we're not just fasting for like a breakthrough. We're not fasting to get something from God. You know, there, I mean, not that anything's wrong with those kind of fasts, but it's like a, a pure fast to know Jesus and know his heart and, and be set apart um, to feast upon him and know him more intimately. That's so good. And, and explain the other, um, I think there's three different ones. It's fire fast for intimacy and consecration and revival. 
Yeah. So the first, and this is fun because I want to take people who read the book on a journey. Um, literally, it's simple. Just take one day and set apart um, a few meals. And the prayer focus for the first one is a fire fast of intimacy. And this is really foundational for everything. I think all of our fasting, all of our devotional life, should this should be a foundation for everything. It's just intimacy with Jesus, loving him well adoring him. So literally the first fast of intimacy, the fire fast of intimacy is not trying to pray and intercede and get anything from God. It's more of a heart positioning of, I'm just going to focus on worshiping and adoring Jesus in this fast and not trying to get anything and not trying to contend. It's it's literally like a, a perspective shift, a posture. And it's like the whole agenda of this fast is to set myself aside just to love Jesus well and worship him and adore him. And so that's the fire fast of intimacy. And then the next week, I encourage people to do a fire fast of consecration. This one is you have to have a really good relationship and perspective of the Father and the heart of the Father to do this one, because this one is basically welcoming a baptism of fire over every area of your life. Um, your mind, body, soul, spirit, your relationships, your commitments, and saying, okay, you know, baptizing the Holy Spirit in fire. God, I give, I, I welcome the fire of God to prune, to refine anything in my heart that is not in perfect alignment with heaven. And so it's literally a fast where you welcome the Holy Spirit to search your heart and remove anything that is going to hinder relationship with the Lord or what he has for you. And it's, it's basically learning how to live in the fire. Um, and the the reason I say it's important to have a good, solid relationship and perspective of the Father's heart is because he will begin to remove things that are hindering us. And if we don't trust that God is good and is for us um, and that he wants the best for us, when he takes things away and it's, it's a surrender that we're giving him permission to remove things, he might remove things that we really want in our lives. He might even remove things that are good, that are past season things we're carrying into the new season. He's like, that was good for the last season, but you're not called to carry this in the new season. He'll refine us. And if we don't understand the love of the father that he's for us and good, we might get offended. We might feel like, Oh, God's mean. He's taking stuff away when really he's doing it on our behalf. And so that, that one's really, you know, you got to be willing to walk in the fire and let him remove anything And then the third one is the fire faster revival. And that's where we now begin. So we have laid the foundation of intimacy. We've consecrated ourselves. Joshua 3, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. I'm going to do great things. And the fire faster revival is like, okay, hey, let's be like the early days in Azusa Street where William J. Seymour and his his buddies got together in a house on Bonnie Bray Street in 1906. And they're like, we're just going to read Acts 4 and we're going to pray for revival. We're going to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is where we really begin to focus our prayers on revival. God's first bringing revival in our own hearts and then also in our own families, in our own regions, in the world, whatever he's highlighting and asking for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's awesome. And you made a statement in the book that um, when we fast, we're launching into a current that's already there. Explain what that means. Yeah, so there's hidden currents um, that are accessible to us. Testimony, the power of the testimony is a hidden current. Studying revivalists is a hidden current. They've already paved the way for us. So Jesus modeled the lifestyle of fasting for us. There is something that Jesus saw in fasting that gave him just a sweet connection with the Father. And so we're basically just choosing to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and access the relationship he had with the Father by 
following him. And so if Jesus fasted because he saw value in it, then of course I'm following, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I want to, I want access to the father in a similar way. So as I fast and walking in the footsteps of Jesus, I'm accessing a similar pathway to greater intimacy that's already been paved before me. Oh, that's so good. And now you've been studying um, different past revivals for a long time now. And of course, like you said, one of them is Azusa Street. And it sounds like um, some of the things they were saying right before Azusa Street happened, they were saying this, some of the same things right now. Are you seeing um, a big move of God coming? And, and just explain some of the things the Lord's showing you that's to come in the future. Yeah, such a great question. I do feel um, 1904 Welsh Revival, 1905 Revival in India, 1906 Azusa Street Revival, birth Pentecostalism is happy to say. That was a sacred time at the turn of that century. It was a Kairos moment. And I really feel like, especially post-2020, we are in a Kairos moment where God is wanting to do something so specific and powerful in this generation that it shifts the next 100 years not just the next decade, but the next century. And I feel like we are in a turning point as a generation. We have been given this invitation. Like no other generation has been entrusted with stewarding a world lockdown, a pandemic, like where the whole world is affected, where we have Jesus, we have the answers. And I feel like this is like our desert moment. Like I feel like the Israelites in the desert, the Lord's saying, "Go, go to the promised land. Will you have faith? Will you believe? Will you step in? And I feel like this is the church's greatest hour. We've been given an opportunity to reform and let things die that have been traditions for years. Like we have a fresh, brand new start. I believe it's not just the billion soul harvest, it's billions of harvest. It's already begun. Like the revival has already happened. I feel like one of my mandates is to raise up spiritual mothers and fathers to steward this incoming billion soul harvest. So when all these people get saved, they're brought into family. They're discipled. They don't just, you know, get saved and then a couple years later are disconnected from God and the church because they're not discipled. So I feel like we are in this radical Kairos moment. What I mean by Kairos is a time that we're never going to get again, where God accelerates things, where God births things that will last for centuries. I feel like we're in that moment. And the Lord has given our generation this invitation to step in. And I do feel like this is the church's finest hour. I do believe persecution is coming to the church in America soon, that we have to prepare people that will divide people. The burning ones will rise to the surface. The the ones that are apathetic, they need to make a choice. So I feel like I'm excited because I feel like this is what we're born for. And God's already moving and bringing people into the kingdom. And it's just an exciting time to be alive. Wow, that, that is so encouraging. And we're running out of time, but can you just uh, take just a few minutes and just pray whatever the Lord is showing you to pray? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lord, I thank you for every single person that's listening to this right now. God, that you drew them here for a reason. And Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray that you would fill their car, their home, wherever they're at with your Holy Spirit right now, that you would release a fresh baptism of love, of peace, of fire, of the Holy Spirit, that there would be awakening in each heart, there would be alignment with heaven, Lord, that you would position each and every one on the path 
to seek your face with everything inside of them and to walk in all the ways and the destiny that you've set before them. So I just bless each one with more of your fire in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you've been listening to Messianic Vision with our guest, Jennifer Miskov. And now here's Sid to tell you how you can get this special resource. Dr. Jennifer Miskov wants to equip you to experience the full presence of God for yourself. It's wonderful others do. This is your time, your moment. In her brand new book, Fasting for Fire, you will learn how to experience intimacy with Jesus beyond what you ever thought possible, beyond belief. You'll also learn the supernatural benefits of fasting, and you will learn that fasting is not just doing without. It is literally, listen to me, feasting, feasting on the presence of God, God himself. Also, in our brand new and exclusive three-part audio teaching series, Doorways to Encountering God, you're going to learn how to encounter God through three different types of fasting. You'll also receive a Fasting for Victory card, a resource tool that will remind you of the wonderful benefits of fasting during the fast. I want you to put it right in uh, as a Bible bookmark. So call right now for Dr. Jennifer Miskoff's brand new book, Fasting for Fire, her brand new and exclusive three-part audio teaching series, Doorways to Encountering God, plus the Fasting for Victory card for an investment of only 35 U.S. dollars. Be sure to ask for offer number 9799. Once again, that's offer number 9799.